Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Watchmen. Watchmen was written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Dave Gibbons, and it was published serially from 1986 to 87. And the film adaptation, uh, which was directed by Zack Snyder, came out in 2009, 10 years ago. Wow. I know. 10-year challenge. (laughs) (laughs) And we're so excited to do this. Yes. This has been definitely one on my list of, uh, on my to-do list for the podcast since we started, I think. Absolutely. Because this graphic novel is just... It's so renowned. It's so influential. Yeah. It was on Time's Best 100 Books of All Time, the only graphic graphic novel novel to Mm -hmm. do so. And it's still hugely influential today. Yeah. Yeah. It really did change, I think, comics as well. Yeah. And influenced a lot of other, not just comics, but a lot of other works. Yeah. Uh, So a little backstory. It's kind of interesting. Alan Moore, who was the writer on this, Really got fucked by DC. Really? It was interesting to read about because originally he worked with DC on this and the characters of Watchmen are loosely based on the Charlton comic characters, which were bought by DC. Okay. Uh, So they had the rights to these characters and then Alan Moore wanted to do this story with them and then they were like, "Mm, maybe don't make our characters that we just bought like terrible and kill them and like do all these (laughs) things that you want to do. So... Moore just created his own characters. And their contract originally said that, I forget, like, they weren't allowed to do merchandising with it. Uh-huh. Which they were doing at some points. And Moore was like, hey, could you stop? Oh, my God. And originally, after one year uh, at the end of the publication, the rights to the comic would go back to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Wow. But the problem was... And with comics, that's usual, like, after the first print, after the first run. Yeah. There may be a second run, but then that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, the comic was so popular, they did two runs of it, and then after that, they created the book from it. Yeah. And that doesn't go out of print. So, basically, they were like, well, you were supposed to get the rights back a year after we were done printing it, but we're never going to stop printing it. Oh, my God. And so Alan, wow. Alan Moore never got the rights back because they created this book f- version of it. And it was so popular. Oh, my God. And Moore, by the end, he was already, like, annoyed with DC. But at this yeah. point, he was just like, well, congratulations. You fucked me. <sighs> he was just, like, totally resigned and just like, I-, I give up trying to fight you on this. Wow. So it's a really shitty. And I mean, I think the comics industry in general is like really bad to its writers and creators in general. Like, a lot of the mainstream organizations, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think this it was very insightful to read about and kind of get some context on Moore and, like, Watchmen and, like, its history with that. Wow, that's so shitty. And DC's still profiting from it. But I'm not it. surprised. Because now they have, before Watchmen, a comic series. Yeah. They have this Doomsday Clock series, which puts Watchmen in the DC universe, and now HBO has the Watchmen television series. Yeah. And Moore has just been like, I want nothing to do with any of it. Ugh. He's like, I did my one book. I did what I wanted to do. I'm done. Wow. I don't blame him. I don't either. Absolutely. But I think it's a, it's really interesting. Just that little bit of like 
the backstory to it. Yeah, and I know when Neil Gaiman was doing work for DC as well, he's talked about kind of getting screwed over as well. Yeah. So I'm sure it's not unique to DC. I'm sure this has happened in other um, comic book publishing, but it's just really sad because, you know, the artists and the writers do all the work and a lot of times they are um, gypped out of their compensation. Yeah, and I think comics are such a good, powerful medium as we're going to be discussing in a, in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's such a bad industry in a lot of ways to like get into. Yeah. That I think like they're probably limited on the voices and the writers who maybe want to get involved with it because of that. Yeah. So we could talk about this. We could. Yeah. <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> but first, let's talk about Watchmen. Let's talk about the universe because. It's 1985 in the comic, but it's like kind of like an alternate 1985. Yes. So essentially, uh, the world was progressing as it has in real life until like the 20s and 30s when suddenly like costumed vigilantes started to become prominent. Yeah. And they started fighting crime and like doing a doing a good deed here and there. (laughs) And they became popular for it. Yeah. And eventually these super, these heroes formed the Minutemen in 1940. Mm-hmm. And this was a loose group, kind of like the Justice League, basically. Yes. Um, these heroes in their own right kind of forming to uh, help fight bigger organized crime. Um, some of the members of the Minutemen were uh, Hollis Mason, who was Night Owl. Yes. And then there was also Silk Spectre. Who was the only, or not the only female. Well, she was Miss Jupiter, right? Because wasn't her daughter Silk Spectre? I think they were both Silk Spectre. Were actually. they? Okay. Yeah. Um. So she actually didn't wear a mask, which was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Neither did her daughter. I don't yeah. know why, but. She was kind of public about her identity throughout. Yeah. Um. And then there was also the comedian. Who was like the youngest, I think, of the group. In the comic, he was 16. Yeah. In the movie, I don't think he's 16 because he's <laughs> no. still played by... The same What's actor. His face? Uh, yeah. yeah, I can't think of his name, but uh, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So he, he can look young, but I don't think he can look 16. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this kind of began uh, the alternate timeline that this book takes place in. Yeah. Other things, obviously, Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. coming into power, like, or appearing, shifted a lot of things, but it's really like, I don't know. You just know the world's different. Like, for example, President Nixon is still president in 1985. And you find out like way later that part of the reason for that is the comedian helped cover up Watergate. Yeah. So it's like like, killed the journalists who were trying to expose it. Yeah. So like you just kind of like find out all these little things throughout about like where exactly these things happened. Yeah. And it's really interesting because the comic doesn't give you all this information at the beginning. No. We decided to talk about the Minutemen first because it kind of makes sense to set that up for like the chronological world that we're in. Um, But it kind of just peppers it throughout the story and keeps going back and forward in time. So you really do feel like the world is very large. Yes. The scale feels really big and everything feels very intricate. There are little details that are like, like Ian said, just like peppered in. Yeah. And they don't, tell you all of them like they don't show you everything so a lot of things you know I picked up new things I had read this book before 
But on this second reading of the comic, I was like, oh, I'm noticing all these other things that I never noticed the first time. Yeah, like we caught the names of the uh, journalists who covered Watergate because we watched All the President's Men recently. Yeah. You were the one who caught it, but you're like, yeah. oh, Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah. Oh, the comedian killed them. Oh, my God. Like, no <laughs> wonder Watergate wasn't known. Yeah. So, like, things like that that are just, uh, you know, like you said, peppered throughout and just really make the world feel very interesting. Also, because of Dr. Manhattan, a lot of technology is weirdly advanced. Yeah. So, like, people smoke really weird cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, did Dr. Manhattan invent vaping? It, they look like e-cigarettes almost or yeah, something that something would be like that. really weird like that. So, <laughs> clearly, right off the bat, this world is very different. But also very influenced by, like, what was going on in 1985. Yeah. This is a, a story very set in the middle of the Cold War. Yeah. And tension between America and the Soviet Union is, like, really high at this point. Yeah. Where people are, like, imagining, like, war might break out, like, any day now. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I think part of that is maybe Dr. Manhattan being in the U.S. Yeah. Maybe elevated what's going on. Uh, but that's something else where I'm like, we don't know the Cold War super well because... We weren't alive. No, we weren't alive, <laughs> and public school systems are dumb in what they teach in history class. Yes. So I actually had to read a little bit about the Cold War to kind of get a little more context on... What was going on around this time and what was Watchmen changing versus what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very, very dense, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, the movie does a really interesting thing to show this history. Yeah. I actually really like this. This is a, a, an amazing montage. I was like, this is the perfect way to show us all this information. It's just a bunch of like old photos that kind of transition from being like still life to kind of being slow moving shots. So you're sh you're showing like a little little scenes, newspaper headlines, a bunch of things like yeah. time is going by. They're showing the Minutemen, the dissolving of the Minutemen, war and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, Bob Dylan's uh, Times They Are Changing is playing. And there's a lot of song choices in this movie I do not like. Yes. But this one is very good. It was perfect. It's perfect. I mean... There's so many scenes you see throughout this montage. It's very ambitious. Oh, yeah. From, like, what's going on in the Soviet Union to, uh -huh. like, how a lot of the Minutemen either died or were, like, gotten rid of. Uh -huh. And just, like, so much. Uh, but someone, I watched a video on The Watchmen. They said this is probably, like, the best thing Zack Snyder's put to film in his career. And I agree. I think this montage is just... It's so effective. And it's so good for him. Mm -hmm. Like, I think where Zack Snyder falls apart is storytelling. Yeah. But in terms of, like, visuals, he's a very good director with visuals. And this is, like, just all visuals. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it does tell you a story and you know what's happening. And, I mean, you don't have to catch everything, but it does give you some context. And it's a really great way to kind of start out the movie. Yeah, and establish this isn't the 1985 that you yeah. may remember. Like, things have changed mm -hmm. and the times they are changing. Yes. It's really good. It's good, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but so, where the comic actually starts, though, is the murder and death of the comedian. Mm -hmm. Who was one of the Minutemen. Yeah, and at this point when he died was like 60s or even like 70 maybe, age-wise. Oh, yeah, 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 he's older. Yeah, mm -hmm. so in the comic book, it's I like that it's just the detectives uh, investigating his apartment where clearly there was a struggle 
and the comedian Edward Blake, his normal name, they actually don't know he was the comedian. Yeah. Was thrown out of a window and like all the way down to the sidewalk. So and he's dead. <laughs> yeah. And while they're investigating, we get glimpses in the comic like of the struggle of the fight that probably ensued. Yeah. The movie, though, starts off immediately with the he's actual murder. fight in, mm-hmm. in real time. Yeah. And it's a really, like, violent scene, I think, in both the book and in the movie. Yeah. Um, Because he's just getting the shit kicked out of him, and then he's, like, thrown from a window and just splats on the ground. So yeah. it's unfortunate. It is. <laughs> I do have to say, though, like, I'm, I'm mixed on a lot of the fight scenes throughout this movie. I think yeah. this might be my favorite, though. Really? Yeah, it, it's, um, it feels the most tense, maybe because you know... He's going to die, and it's interesting him just trying to put up the fight that he can. Yeah. And it is heightened reality to an extent. Like, a lot of the throws and punches are, like, really big. Yeah. Like, punching through walls and shit. But it's, like, not as crazy as it gets later. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, like, that right balance. Yeah. And just, like, an interesting scene, I think, for the most part. Yeah. And who should come by to investigate? the comedian's death, but Rorschach and Rorschach is one of the new crop of superheroes or not superheroes, the heroes yeah, that are kind of around now. Um, and he wears this, I mean, you probably have seen the Rorschach mask. It's like yes. a Rorschach inkblot test. Yeah. The shifting black and white mask mm-hmm. and his kind of like dirty trench coat. It's very noir. It is. It's very noir. And he is immediately like writing in his diary. There's like a dark tone mm-hmm. and we find out a lot about Rorschach Right from the beginning, we find out that he hates liberals, intellectuals, <laughs> homosexuals, probably anyone who is not white, uh, yeah. women, you name it. Yeah, uh, I think this is interesting because like Rorschach is a very um, problematic character. <laughs> he has a lot of shitty opinions. Absolutely. And like he claims to have like this black and white view on justice and he has to um, punish criminals but like his methods are also like he murders people yeah he'll torture people for information sometimes like none of that applies to him no exactly yeah and also just like who he applies his justice to mm-hmm. so he is very uh hypocritical yes. in many ways mm-hmm. and i think in ways people's thoughts on rorschach at least over time are like oh what a cool Batman-esque character who's like yeah. vigilante out for justice. Because at this point in the story, um, vigilantism is outlawed. Yeah. And he's one of the only ones still working. Because if you're not working for the government, you're not allowed to. Yeah. So he's like the only one still on the fringes. Everyone else is retired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I think like a lot of people still view him as being like cool and this, tough. This like and, anti-hero. Yeah. And he is in a way, but I think he's a lot shittier than most people remember him and i think the comic paints him a lot more shittier it does um because they let you know right away like in the first lines of his like journal dialogue he's talking about how he is like a right wing wing extremist basically yeah yeah um and i feel like rorschach is actually one of those characters that you're not supposed to like them because they're like super problematic and the medium that they're in is showing you that they're problematic, but people take it like so out of context. I'll give you an example. Uh, Walter White from Breaking Bad. Yes. Uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Rick from Rick and Morty. Rick from Rick and Morty. These are characters where clearly the medium that they're in is showing 
like that they're very deeply dark and disturbing characters and like yeah. yeah it uses them for fun and for like telling the story but it's also not idolizing them yeah and then fan communities are like yes i want to be like this character yeah and the creators are like you miss the point exactly and i mean they're good characters yeah well developed flawed but well-rounded yeah like i rorschach is a great character but like i think a lot of people are just like he's so cool and like you said just like missing the point in general yeah and so i i enjoyed coming back to this story and like really getting to see how badly he's painted in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh so yeah yeah rorschach is one of the most complicated characters in the story uh it's kind of cool in both the book and the movie Rorschach is investigating the comedian's death and then he sort of like goes to each main character to talk to them about what's going on because he has this theory that someone is going is killing like ex superheroes. Yeah, I really love how even though it's a superhero comic, it starts off as this like investigative murder noir. Yeah. And it's also smart in terms of establishing all the characters because like you said, he thinks there's a mask killer out there. So he's he goes to like look up his old buddies. Yeah. And so he like makes the rounds and you're introduced to these people and like kind of see the world starts expanding for us and we start seeing all the players involved currently. First up is Night Owl. And this is actually the second Night Owl. Yes. Um, he took up Hollis Mason's Night Owl um, once he retired. Um, and this is Dan. And he has retired. He's sort of this like unassuming guy who's <laughs> yeah. super into owls and ornithology and is just kind of like yeah okay sure <laughs> yeah he uh I-, I like that and you find out that rorschach and him used to like be partners kind of yeah they used to team up to take down like a lot of crime syndicates and things like that and i think it's funny because they both embody two different halves of like batman yeah rorschach kind of has like the brooding dark vengeful justice side and dan has the money dan has <laughs> yes all the money and the, and gadgets, the gadgets yeah and like kind of his outfit is batman-esque to an extent yeah he has the uh archie which is his owl mobile <laughs> it's like a flying vehicle i wish he called it the owl mobile kind instead. of like the batmobile yeah yeah <laughs> uh but so yeah he's been retired for a while he's kind of like pudgy now because yeah. it's been some time and he's just like living his life and just kind of enjoying himself he still like gets beers with uh the original night owl who's like very much retired he's like a much older man yeah uh but they kind of like reminisce about the old days and yeah things like that and then rorschach shows up to just like eat all of his beans <laughs> <laughs> meeting all your beans and warn him that there might be someone out there trying to kill old heroes next rorschach goes to visit Vite. Um, who is also retired and he actually like sold his the rights to or like is profiting off of his image. Ozzy yeah, Mendez. yeah. So he's like the super rich kind of like playboy <laughs> uh, athletic. But like also the smartest man, smartest alive. man alive type guy. And he has this like line of action figures that he's sold, which is great. Um, and like cologne, yeah, like that nostalgia cologne. He's done very well for himself. Yeah, he's just like very uh, entrepreneurial and just kind of like taking advantage of his superhero image and use that as a launching point for like 
this entire empire he basically runs now. Yeah, and in the movie, he and Dr. Manhattan are working, like, on an energy project together. Yeah. So he's really involved in, like, the global energy crisis and is very involved in, like, politics and energy and all this other stuff. Yeah. So, and he's kind of like, uh, like, Rorschach visits him. He's like, eh, you might be paranoid. And Dan visits him in the movie and he's like, eh, okay. Like, yeah. he's kind of dismissive of it to an extent. Then Rorschach goes and visits both John and Lori. Dr. Manhattan himself. Yes. Um, and you, even if you haven't seen uh, the movie or read the comics at all, you probably know what Dr. Manhattan looks like. He's just a giant blue man. <laughs> With a big swinging blue dick. Yeah, mostly naked. Sometimes he wears a thong. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, as you get flashbacks, you see the declining amount of clothing that he wears. Yeah. Because at first he's in kind of like this jumpsuit. And then he's like, you know what? I just need a thong. And yeah. then he's like, you know what? Nothing. What am I even hiding? Let's just go <laughs> balls out and just be naked all the time. But it's interesting because John is like, you kind of don't fully get the scope of what he is or what he's capable of when you first meet him. No. But essentially he has control over all matter. Yeah. He can assemble and reassemble matter at will, which includes his own form. He can teleport. Um, he can kill someone instantly. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just crazy to compare him to the other heroes. Yeah. Because you mentioned this earlier, Ian, but like none of them have powers. Yeah. And then John slash Dr. Manhattan has like all of the powers. Yeah. And I love this like gap between them yeah that there's like no powers and then he is god yeah they're like oh yeah member of like the justice league together like we're all like team members and then dr manhattan is like time is an illusion <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's, it's interesting too because like the story he's obviously a main character but the story isn't like solely focused on him by any means and he no. doesn't even like have the most influence in the story. No. He's, like, capable of it, but his, like, crazy view of the world has him being, like, really ambivalent and, like, nihilistic in a lot of ways. Yeah. So he's a super interesting character. And his uh, partner, Lori, is actually the second Silk Spectre. So there were two Night Owls, and there were two Silk Spectres. Yeah. But um, Lori was actually the daughter of the first Silk Spectre, uh, Sally and um, her mom like trained her when she was growing up and was like you're gonna take over kid and she did for a while and she's retired now but she and John have been together um, for a while and they're like living on this military base now yeah because John is working for the government yeah and so and she's like probably paid to be his girlfriend essentially yeah like, they are a couple but she's kind of like benefiting from John working for the government and yeah. she isn't really have a job or anything no. i don't think so so yeah and they do a good decent job at least in the comic of establishing that her life is kind of like you know she's not sure what she's doing with it exactly and there's a little bit of like uncertainty yeah aimlessness with her yeah so can we take a second to talk about the cast in the movie yeah and these different individual actors maybe starting with rorschach the casting of rorschach is perfect it is remarkable how good 
the casting. He looks exactly like the illustrations in the comic. I know. And he's he's even short like yeah, him. Yeah. He's the voice is so good. Like it's exactly how I would like have imagined the voice of Rorschach. And he Rorschach. does the the like lunatic edge so well. Yeah. I, he's remarkable. I heard he like was the only one who was like familiar with the comic when it was coming out and like actually petitioned to get the role of Rorschach. Wow. Which is great because he just he nails it. He is so perfect. He is. For this part. He brings a lot of gravity to the role and to like different scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I could remember the freaking actor's <laughs> name. It'll come to my head in a minute. I also felt like Dan, the Night Owl one mm-hmm. is pretty good with Patrick Wilson. Patch- yes, I think he's excellent. He's he another- does the like kind of schlubby like ordinary guy aspect really well he does he's he's like you can tell he's handsome yeah but like he's got a terrible haircut Mm -hmm. he gained he's like a little schlubby like you said uh he does like that good balance of kind of being an idiot and like gullible and doofusy but like still very charming Mm -hmm. i think he's also very very good casting dr manhattan yeah this is where i'm very mixed on dr manhattan i feel like I mean, I get that Dr. Manhattan is supposed to be a little flat, but I feel like the actor is like even more flat. Yeah, I <laughs> I get why he was doing the like the tone of voice and everything he was doing. Yeah, I think I agree. I think he maybe just took it like a little too far. It was far. just sort of like, Laurie, time <laughs> is an illusion. Laurie, time is an illusion. <laughs> I don't have human feelings. <laughs> yeah, just really, really subdued. Vite is fine. I don't really have any comments about him. I my biggest issue with Vite is that look, I don't want to get too far into the future, but he just acts like such a villain in the movie, like the whole so, time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I mean, look, not to like in the comics it's like shocking. Yeah. When you find out what Vite's actually been up to and what he's been behind. Yeah. And it's great because in the comic He's so, like, kind-looking. He looks like a very kind person. Yeah, kind of all-American yeah. guy. Square-jawed, like, blonde very... Blonde-haired. blonde hair. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, he's kind of wiry. He kind of just, like, really plays up the creepiness and the... I agree, and yeah. the moodiness. And it's just like, well, yeah, of course he's the <laughs> villain. Like, if you're just watching the movie, yeah. just, like... All of the context of the lighting and the dialogue and the performance, it all tells you he's the villain. Yeah. So that's my biggest point. That's my biggest issue with him. I also have a problem with Laurie's casting. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be too hard on the only female actress in this movie. But um, I do feel like she was very flat as well. And the scenes with her and John were, like, not very interesting for me. Yeah. Also, her hair is too straight. That's not her fault. <laughs> that is costuming. Yeah. But um, that was bothering me the whole time. Her bangs are, like, so precise. And even, like, the ends of her hair are just, like, it's like a box. Is that even, an, like, a style someone would have had in that time? I feel like it isn't. No. I mean, although maybe that's part of the alternate reality that I mean, Dr. it wasn't Manhattan. like that in the comics, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying they had to do exactly the haircuts in the comics, but it was very distracting. Maybe it's movie canon that this alternative <laughs> 1980s bangs are like really in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I like like you said, I don't want to like like shit on her performance or anything. She's just she just comes across as kind of wooden 
in certain scenes. I think specifically like the more dramatic scenes. Yeah. Don't. And like there are scenes too where Patrick Wilson, like I think a lot of times it's like the dialogue and the lines like. Yeah. You're like, this is really cheesy. Where he's like, what happened to the American dream? And I'm like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's the roundup of like the major performances. So. Yeah. Getting back to the story, um, there's the comedian's funeral around this time, and we get a lot of flashbacks from characters about their interactions with the comedian, which is good because we know almost nothing about him and he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we find out that he was kind of a shitty person. He was maybe the worst person. (laughs) Of all time? Who's to say? But probably. (laughs) Yeah, so we get like a lot of interesting. One of the flashbacks involves Dr. Manhattan. Like he and the comedian were both working for the government. So they went to Vietnam to like interfere intervene yeah and they like won they won vietnam Vietnam. and it became a state which is like part of this alternate timeline that vietnam is now a state yeah uh but in that flashback apparently the comedian had gotten a woman pregnant there Mm -hmm. and then when she was i guess like annoying him and like confronted him like i have this baby what are you gonna do like you can't just leave me here he was basically like fuck you i don't care about you or your kid and she's like Oh, you'll remember me forever. And then just like cuts his face with a bottle. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And then he shoots her and she's yeah. dead. And he does it like right in front of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Which is like a very interesting moment for his character too. Cause like he can see the future. Yeah. He like experiences time all simultaneously. And comedian calls him out. He's like, You knew what I was gonna do, yeah. but you didn't stop it. Cause mm-hmm. you don't give a shit about people. And I'm like, I mean, you don't either. No. Yeah. This was a woman that you, you know, were intimate with and also was carrying your child. And you were like, fuck you. I'm just going to murder you. Yeah. Uh, Adding to his catalog of horrors, (laughs) he also tried to rape the first Silk Spectre, Lori's mom, um, when they were both in the Minutemen League. And this is actually like, a really violent scene played out in both the comic and the movie. Yeah. Like he doesn't just, you know, try to physically like rape her. He also like physically assaults her. Yeah. Um, so it's really awful. It's a, it's a really tough scene. And luckily another one of the minute men like finds them before he can really do anything and like stops, you know, stops the rape but it's just like a very disturbing violent scene yeah i don't think the movie really does does it super well i think it's just Zack snyder like his style i don't know doesn't really suit for like the subtle horror yeah not even subtle horror but just like the real life horror of something like that yeah and i feel like it's a little more played up in the violence and also like her undressing before the incident is yeah. kind of like sexy shots, yeah. which I had issue with. But yeah. it is one of the most one of the more intense scenes of the story. Yeah. So he was shitty. <laughs> yeah. I, Rorschach also kind of like in his journal gives commentary on the comedian kind of says like and, and Rorschach seems to kind of respect the comedian, which says a lot about Rorschach, I think it does. And he kind of like explains how the comedian saw humanity like their true nature and like the shit they were capable of and was like a pair like a human parody of it yeah turned it into a joke yeah or just kind of like embraced it and became like totally like depraved exactly yeah and just didn't care about his actions or anything and like was never 
held accountable for like anything he did like his entire life. No. So it comedian once again, and you do get different scenes with him. You find out later he visited the apartment of one of his old arch rivals. Yeah. And in this scene, he's like crying mm-hmm. and, and Rorschach rambling on about yeah. something he saw that was so disturbing. And so, you know, that if it was something that disturbed the comedian. Yeah. That it had to be something bad. And that's like part of like the mystery that Rorschach's trying to uncover throughout this story. Yeah. What could it, what, what could he have found out that was so bad it disturbed him? But it also gives you insight that the comedian isn't like. Like, he's a monster, but even, like, he has his limits, and it's like, what could those limits possibly be? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Lori leaves John. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, fuck this blue dude. I've had enough. (laughs) Fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, because there's three of him. (laughs) Yeah, there's three of him, and she's like, I can't do this anymore. And she actually ends up staying with Dan, um, because they've kept in contact over the years. Yeah. And... Dr. Manhattan slash John goes on to a TV interview at this time as well. And this stuff kind of comes out about him possibly giving cancer to an old lover that he had and like other people that worked with him. And it's a very like shocking and upsetting scene for a lot of people in the series and what's happening. And at the end of it, Dr. Manhattan just kind of like is like, fuck this. Yeah. And leaves. Yeah, and so he fucks off all the way to Mars. He fucks off all the way to Mars. (laughs) And it's interesting in the, I think in the book you get more context that like this escalating tension between um, the United States and and the Soviet Union, Dr. Manhattan was sort of like the U.S.'s trump card. Yeah. Because he can like do almost anything. So they're sort of like, well, don't fuck with us because we'll unleash Dr. Manhattan on you. Mm-hmm. And now Dr. Manhattan is gone. And like no one knows where he if is. he's coming back, what's happening. And so this really kind of starts the intense war that's about to start. Yeah, this like escalating conflict is now like, oh shit, this could like, go even faster now than we yeah, thought it would. Yeah, because the you know, Soviet Union is like, oh, you don't have Dr. Manhattan? Well, we're just going to like invade Afghanistan and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's talk about John on Mars. John, John not John Carter of Mars. But, <laughs> and uh, th- this is such an interesting part. It plays out very similarly in both the comic and the movie in terms of John just being by himself and kind of like reflecting on his own life. Yeah. And we really get to see how John views time. Yeah. And I love this because we see his whole past, but it's all happening kind of at once. Mm -hmm. And this is really beautifully played out in the comic in terms of the artwork and the storytelling where he keeps flashing back and then going back to where he is on Mars and then flashing back even farther. And he basically tells the story of his life when he was young and then his life before his accident and then the accident that would turn him into Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, and so essentially he was a scientist and he was starting to become romantically involved in one of his with one of his coworkers who is the woman who later finds out she has cancer yeah. and confronts him about it and while this is going on he ends up tra- locking himself into like a test chamber yeah 
that will that literally ends up deatomizing him mm-hmm. and tearing him like cell by cell or atom by atom apart. Yeah. And it's like super horrific and crazy. And everyone just assumes he's dead until he's able to reassemble himself yeah. as Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, in both versions, I think this whole sequence, the whole jumping around back and forth in time it's all very effective. It's yeah. all, like you said, it really gives you a good insight into how he thinks both in like past, present and future, like simultaneously. Yeah. I think the comic does a great job of like, it keeps reusing panels over yes. and over, like of the photo uh-huh. or of when Jane first handed him a beer and their yes. fingers touched. Mm-hmm. And also these being like touchstone moments in his life. He keeps coming back to and replaying. Yeah. yeah. And his inner monologue kind of going over these parts and like re contextualizing them. Yes. Like at one point he's talking about the hands of a clock frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And when it says that it shows the hands holding the beer again. Yeah. Touching. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's very poetic, very beautiful, very well done. This was one of my favorite issues in the comics. Mine too. The art is beautiful. Like you said, the panels are reused, but in such an effective way. So that art style is like, showing you exactly what's happening in his mind and how he views his life and then the storytelling flashing back and forward and then forward and back and everything is just so interesting i love it Uh, i'd also be remiss if i didn't like acknowledge that i think the movie does a really good job yeah in this sequence too Mm -hmm. Uh, i think a lot of these moments are like really well done i think and this is once again I think Zack Snyder is really good with visuals. And so in montages. Yes. Specifically, I think he really does a great job in. Mm-hmm. And I also love the score in this part of the movie. Yeah. It's this creepy organ music. Uh-huh. That just kind of keeps like going on and on throughout this montage. And it makes me sad that the score wasn't more prominent throughout the movie. Yeah. Instead of these like random songs. Uh, they just he just goes with like so many really cheesy or obvious choice songs. Yeah. A lot of them are references to the comic book. But still. But yeah, it's like, it still doesn't work. No. Uh, And like, I think the score in this part is so good that like, when I read the comic now, that score is in my head. Yeah. And it just like really is effective. And, you know, I wish it was a little more prominent throughout the whole movie. I agree. Yeah. But so John is like, I'm going to stay up here forever. And he just like builds a castle with his brain. Fuck (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Meanwhile, back on Earth, uh, Rorschach is investigating this plot. Yes. And gets basically set up to where he is captured by the police. Yeah. He's been like interrogating this old former criminal who he thinks is like involved in the plot somehow. Yeah. And at one point when he shows up to question him, he's been shot. The gun is there and the police have been called. So Rorschach is cornered in this house. I just have to say the part in the movie is so ridiculous because in the comic, it's a good reveal where he's like talking to this man as he's sitting in a chair. Yeah. And then suddenly he turns him around and there's a bullet hole in his head. Yeah. In the movie, though, (laughs) Rorschach talks to him for like two minutes and you, the audience, 
can see the bullet hole. Oh my god, yeah. And so it just makes Rorschach look so stupid. Maybe he has trouble seeing out of that mask <laughs> over his face. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the funniest reveal? Is that like he's actually half blind most of the time? He's like, yeah, when the the black part shifts over the white, it's actually like really hard to see. <laughs> But essentially, the police swarm the place, and Rorschach is, he puts up a fight, but he's captured. Yeah. And around the same time, there's actually an assassination attempt on Vite as well. Someone tries to shoot him. Yeah. Also, the Rorschach capture is this huge reveal where we find out Rorschach is the crazy man. Yeah. Who has the the, wor- the end of the world is coming sign. Yep. Which was like... I know there are hints of it throughout the comic, which I love. I know. Rereading it... I'm like, how did I not realize this earlier? Yeah. I'm like, was I just dumb or... I mean, I I think your mind naturally sometimes skims images, especially as you're reading the text. Yeah. That's why sometimes I will read a comic issue normally, not an entire book, twice. Yeah. Because I like to, like, you're paying more attention to the words the first time, and then the second time I try to pay more attention to the illustration. Yeah. And there's so many, like, subtle, subtle visual Absolutely. hints and nods and, like, things in the background. Like, if you were really paying attention, you actually could figure out it was uh, the man with the sign earlier. Yeah. Because of a background clue, but it's, it's very effective, though. It is. Uh, while Rorschach is getting captured, Lori and Dan are just... Two roommates living together. (laughs) Dan is clearly into her. And they kind of had this awkward dynamic at first where it seems like they're kind of more just friends. Yeah. In fact, in the comic, Lori tells Dan he's like an older brother to her. (laughs) And the expression Dan makes in the comic is so funny. It's like so just like, (laughs) I mean, eventually they do. She does kiss him. Yes. And they try to sleep together, but uh, Dan can't get it up. Dan, he just can't do it, which is just so sad. He just keeps thinking about everyone getting blown up (laughs) in a nuclear war. And he's like, for some reason, that doesn't get me hard. Yeah, yeah. I I, I do want to say, too, that I really love, I do really like Dan and Lori's dynamic in the comic. Yeah. For two characters that, like, don't, they do affect the plot a decent bit, but like yeah. they're the least uh, complex characters. Yeah, they're the most like normal, I'd say, out of like the Watchmen group. Yeah, uh, but even with that, I think just like their dynamics really interesting. It's like their part of the story was a little more sweet and like lighthearted. Yeah, and I really enjoyed reading it quite a bit. Yeah, you can tell like they are really connecting with each other, and that Lori really needs someone to care about her whereas dr manhattan kind of like was very detached yeah um so she really is finding that connection and that partnership in dan that she didn't have with john so they don't bang and then night owl dan is like what if we go out in our costumes yeah (laughs) just a thought i don't know what if we just put her like uh, costumes on and so, see where the night takes us <laughs> some more revealing than others yeah and so they go out and i also like this part too because dan kind of like acknowledges how silly it is yeah and i love this aspect of the comic too how it really plays into the idea that like 
the co- the costumes they wore were like super cheesy. Oh yeah, they weren't cool at all. No, and like Dan is like, yeah, it's so silly, and it seems like both him and Laurie are like kind of embarrassed about having had this time in their lives. Yeah, uh, and so I love that it embraces like if you took that silver age of comic book heroes and like kind of put it in more of a realistic light. Like, yeah, they look dumb and yeah. silly and stupid, <laughs> but also. Like, it is invigorating for them, and they do love doing it. They love it, and they try to deny that they don't want to care about it anymore and don't want it, but they clearly do. And they end up saving some people um, from a fire in an apartment building, and after they're done, they're like, fuck, let's bang. (laughs) (laughs) And they have super cool sex up in his Oh my uh, god, that sex scene in the movie. (laughs) Oh my god, the sex scene in the movie. Just saying, we recently saw Patrick Wilson's balls in (laughs) the Little Children movie. In case you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. We talk about Patrick Wilson's balls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we saw even more of him in this movie as well. He just loves showing his ass. Yeah. he's Maybe that's how he chooses his roles. He's like, how much ass coverage do I get in this role, though? It at least has to be full moon coverage. Uh, But, you know, I'm willing to work with like a half moon. You know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, After they bang, Dan is like, you know, we should really break Rorschach out of prison. I feel bad. (laughs) While we're still on this like high of like having great sex and like saving a bunch of people, let's just go like bust someone out of prison <laughs> and Lori agrees to it. Yeah. And so. She's like, fine. <laughs> Let's talk about Rorschach in prison though. Yeah. He ends up seeing a prison psychiatrist because clearly he's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out more about his tragic backstory. Um, his mom was a prostitute and that probably contributes to his blatant and overt uh, misogyny. Against all women. Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's also an incident in his past as well where a young girl was kidnapped and he tried to track her down and find her and ended up finding the evidence of a brutal murder of her. Yeah. And and this is like the defining moment because like clearly Rorschach at some point had this kind of like mental breakdown. Yeah. And this was it when he discovers that this man killed this girl and like basically fed her remains to his dogs. Yeah. And the movie in the comic, it's still dark and twisted. He like chains up the man to a pipe and like yeah. sets his house on fire. Yeah. He gives him a knife, though. He's like, you could chop off your arm. And yeah, <laughs> but I'll be out here waiting in case you do so I can beat you up more. Yeah. And in the movie, he just like meat cleavers the guy to death, which yeah. was like a little over the top it for was, me. It was. It Considering just... like what had just happened to the little girl, I feel like it wouldn't make sense for Warshak to do that as well i don't know yeah it was just kind of i don't know ultra violent and i don't know did we need to see that i i I don't know just like visually it was very gruesome speaking of did we need to see that in the prison break scene um there's like a prison riot going on and this whole group of criminals hate rorschach and are trying to get to him to kill him and there's this crazy scene in the movie where Rorschach grabs this guy's hands, has him tied to, like, the prison bars. And then the guys that are trying to get to Rorschach are like, sorry, dude. And they just, like, table saw this guy's, like, hands off. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It was just so brutal. I mean, it doesn't happen like that at all in the comic. They do kill the guy, but they don't, like, 
saw off his hands and let him bleed out. Like it, it's overtly just like super gruesome. I don't know if Zack Snyder was trying to earn the R rating yeah. for the movie or like trying to play into that like selling point a bit more that it's like ultra violent and mm-hmm. like gruesome or whatever. But yeah, this part like there were like several parts around this time that were, were really just gruesome. Yeah, yeah, all involving Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Something else I wanted to talk about briefly was that the comic. There's a lot more about like the psychiatrist and Rorschach, and I, I so much of the comic is so good, so thought out. I love it. This was one of the parts so that I didn't love. Yeah, I was like, what's the point of this? And it's mostly because like you start to like like this psychologist is like obsessed with like helping Rorschach, but yeah. clearly like. Rorschach's rhetoric is like affecting him. Yeah. And it's like making him really like depressed. Depressed and, and like affecting his marriage with his wife. And I'm just like, dude, you're like a professional. Yeah. And like the whole story that Rorschach tells him about the girl being murdered, I'm like, you've probably talked to the men if you're who criminal, did the murder. Yeah, if you're a criminal psychologist, like you've yeah, yeah, you've definitely heard stuff that bad before. Yeah. So the fact that he's like, oh my god, my worldview is rocked by this masked man, and like, what am I gonna do with my life now? I'm just like, this is a little much. I think yeah. it's like it's giving too much credit to Rorschach's worldview. Yeah. I think that like that it would affect someone that deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And like he's just kind of a shitty person with a really warped perspective like he's not right and i think it's like almost taking that stance a bit that he is yeah so that's like one of my one of my few decent faults with this comic is that aspect so darren and Lori uh bust rorschach out of prison yep they're home free and now i'd like to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about the comics sort of ongoing side plot yeah. Along with the hero stories is this just kind of like slice of life guy ranting and no one listening to him <laughs> guy who's selling newspapers on the street corner, just kind of talking to everyone that kind of comes by. Yeah. it the, the There's kind of like two main guys. There's the newspaper man and then this kid reading a comic. Yeah. And he, he keeps showing up to like read this comic and uh, the old man is, like, ranting to him. And it's really interesting because we also get the comic. Yeah. And it's a comic within a comic. Ooh. And it's the... Is it the... <laughs> the Black Freighter? It, it's just the Black Freighter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the story of this man whose ship was attacked by pirates. Yeah. And he was stranded on an island. And he's the only survivor. And it kind of catalogs his descent into madness. Yeah. And the tw- the terrible things he has to do to survive. Like, he makes a raft out of, like, the dead bodies of his shipmates. Yeah. He gets attacked by sharks. He's eating gulls, like, ripping their throats out. <laughs> um, and it just, it's really interesting because the text of the comic that the uh, kid is reading is sort of overlaid with the conversation, the one-sided conversation that the newspaper <laughs> man is having with the kid and also anyone else who will listen sort of about the world. And this is where we get a lot of like the growing tensions um, between the U S and the Soviet union, how everything's kind of going to shit and like the everyday fears of like everyday people. Yeah. Like the problems with gang violence and just there's so many, this like street corner becomes like so significant. You see so many different characters, so many like, political topical things that are going on like the climate of fear surrounding this war and you also keep getting this like 
black freighter storyline throughout, which I was like really interested in. Yeah. Like it was kind of this really dark, interesting, weird thing that kept like it kept jumping back to it. And like, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? And it does kind of have there is some allusions to it back to it later on in the story and like some kind of like things you can read into it and stuff for sure. Absolutely. But it is kind of a separate story in general. Mm -hmm. And I do like it. I think the movie would have a really hard time if they tried to portray this like the comic did. Yeah. And something we should mention is I should have mentioned this earlier. We did watch the normal theatrical cut of this movie because yeah. there is a director's cut. Which we've seen. We have a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So we can't talk about it too much. But I do remember that there was stuff with the newspaper stand man. Yeah. And other characters surrounding and that. And with the comic. And the comic, which was animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there definitely was a lot more material involved. And I do remember liking it. Yeah. Like I do remember thinking it was a decent director's cut, despite the fact it was... Four hours? <laughs> Probably, like, just an insane <laughs> amount of time. Considering the theatrical cut... Was almost three hours. Was almost three hours, yeah. So, but yeah, so that just... I, I really like kind of just seeing this slice of life, what's going on in the world, and just kind of having that to kind of gauge things throughout the story. Yeah. And at this time, John decides to come back from Mars and pick up Lori... Yes, yeah. He's like, hey, we have to have a conversation on Mars. Let's go. And she's like, uh, okay. (laughs) He takes her to Mars. He forgets her oxygen for a second, gives it back, and then he just, like, pontificates for so long about how Mars is better than Earth. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up, John. No one cares. He's just like, look at all these rocks. Aren't all these rocks really cool? And I'm like, clearly you've been wanting someone to like talk to because you're <laughs> just, just like really steamrolling Lori in this conversation. Like she's just sort of like, John, the world is gonna fucking end are you gonna do anything he's like but the rocks yeah and this volcano i loved at the one point he's like look at this look at this like um stretch of land yeah would it be improved by an oil pipeline and she's like jesus Jesus christ Christ, john okay i get it god (laughs) he's just like insufferable he's just i want like emo Dr. Manhattan to be yeah. like a meme where it's just like, what's the point of life? Like, I don't care about anyone. This scene, I was like, how did Lori live with him for 20 years? That is definitely one of the biggest, I don't want to say plot holes in the story. I mean, it's absolutely a plot hole. She cannot <laughs> even have a conversation with him because he keeps being like, oh, you're going to tell me soon this thing. And like kind of jumping back and forth in time and like not letting her say anything, but then also wanting her to say things. And she's like, I don't know what you fucking want me to do. Yeah. Like, just let me be, God damn it. And he's like, Ugh. And it's like implied that he's gotten worse as time has gone on. Yeah. Like he's become more yeah. detached. There was such a funny part though in the comic where at one point he's like, Yes, in 90 seconds. Or he's like, in three minutes, you're about to tell me that you're sleeping with Dan. And she's like, what? You know I'm sleeping with uh, and yeah. whatever. And then later on, she's like, you know, when Dan and I were woke up together and he's like, you're sleeping with Dan? <laughs> and she's like, oh, what my God. Yeah. <laughs> it was like super funny. <laughs> he also kind of like blames her for his 
isolation. Yeah. He's sort of like, you were my only connection to the human world, and then you broke up with me, so, like, why should I care about humanity? And I'm like, dude, (laughs) do not put this emotional labor and burden on her because you have your own issues. Like, stop. I know. I'm surprised he wasn't like, I mean, maybe if we got back together, I'd want to, like, save the world from nuclear (laughs) war. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a really great scene in both the comic and the movie where Lori starts to remember parts of her past. And he's like, think about your life in terms of like the way I view time. Like everything happens at the same time. We can view it simultaneously. And she starts having flashbacks of her childhood, um, her early years as a hero, and kind of has a realization of a truth that she's sort of known all along, Mm -hmm. but has been hiding that the comedian is actually her father. Yeah, she overheard a conversation once her mom had with her, with her, her father-in-law, essentially, or her, uh, <laughs> her father-in-law, father-in-law goddammit. Her mother's husband. Her, yeah, her mother's husband. And, like, the implication, like, that she slept with the comedian, like, consensually after yeah. he had tried to rape her that one time. Mm-hmm. And then also there was a time when the comedian was talking to her after a meeting that the watchman had. Yeah. And, or the crime busters, I guess they're called. <laughs> and he's talking to her and her mom shows up and like p- drags her away. And she was like, he looked really sad. Yeah. And he gives a line like, can a man talk to his friend's daughter? Yeah. And she, she like realizes that, you know, he wanted to talk to her because she was his daughter. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where like, Despite how shitty the comedian is and terrible he is, like, you do see that he does have some glimmer of humanity in him, like, maybe. Yeah, he cares about his child when the one he didn't not kill. being carried by a Vietnamese woman. <laughs> yeah. So, there's that. There's that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think this does add some dimension to the comedian's character, and obviously it shows us a lot about Lori and she kind of takes this realization pretty hard at first and then it's sort of like, I just have to accept this. Yeah. And goes on this journey of acceptance. And for John, this is sort of when he has a realization of his own that life is precious and that life is a miracle. And I don't know. I'm like, okay, John. Does that, yeah. (laughs) Does that like, does his turning like hold water to you? Because I'm kind of like, I, I I don't know. I don't see how that thought the, would like. He doesn't change. really do anything after this, which is why I feel like it doesn't hold much weight because he doesn't really change anything anyway. Yeah. Like any of the events that happen, he's unable to like really affect anything or do anything. So him coming along with them really had no purpose. That's true. Other than like a character moment where he cares, I guess, once yeah. again. But I don't know. He's just like, wow, I, I suddenly see that like statistically the chance of you existing is very 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 low and that is like basically a miracle so yeah (laughs) i I don't know it's just like uh i'll i'll i guess i'll buy it like i don't know and i also thought it was interesting too like from laurie's mom's perspective too because like yeah we don't get into it as much as maybe we should or that it could have been gotten into but like the fact that she did have like this sexual encounter with this man after he had tried to assault her. And like, clearly she does regret that, but also she did like still kind of care about him and that being kind of like this complicated thing. Yeah. And I agree it's complicated, but I think it's not portrayed very well. Yeah. Because it does make it, 
They do make it out like she loved him. They do, especially near the end. Which, if they were portraying it more like she was, like, really fucked up and, like, her blaming herself over the attempted rape. Yeah. And that maybe she thought it was, like, her fault. And kind of getting into, like, that mindset where, like, you are, like, shamed by the culture. Yeah. That could have, like, explained things. But instead it felt like maybe she really, like, liked him. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe she did want him to have sex with her. And, like, wanted him to possibly sexually assault her. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I just don't think it was handled well. I mean, it's... That's a good point. No, that's... Two I, men writing this in the 80s. Uh, not saying that that gives them a pass, but I'm saying, like, we talk about this subject with a lot more nuance, I hope, now. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it... I don't think it has aged well in that aspect. No, I, I agree. I think it, like, kind of keeps a shroud of, like... Like, people are complicated and emotions are confusing and, like, not really trying to get into it too much. Yeah. Which, in some ways, is better than her being like, oh, I, like, like overtly, like, really loved him and blah, blah, blah. Like, but I agree, like, by the end, it does imply that she really did have romantic feelings as opposed to, like, maybe being in an abusive emotional relationship that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it it is complicated and it's one of the more, like. Mm, is this talked about as well as it could have been? Yeah. Parts. Uh, Dan and Rorschach, partners in crime again. They're back at it. They're back on the case. The gang's back together. (laughs) They're tracking down clues. They're roughing up bad guys for information. They're finding out what has been going on. Obviously, they've all been set up in some way. Yeah. They're trying to find out why. And... They kind of track down this trail of clues that leads them to none other than Vite himself. Yeah. And in his office, they like. They hack into they his, hack 80s his computer. Yeah. <laughs> by guessing like a very obvious password to his computer. Yeah. And discover that like all the money goes back to Vite essentially. Like he's the man at the top. And they're like. He so, killed the comedian. Yeah. He gave all these people cancer to throw off John, all this other stuff. And they don't know what his motives are yet. They don't no. know what he's up to, what he's planning. Their guess is that he wants World War Three to happen. Yeah. Because the idea is like, oh, he's getting rid of all the costumed heroes who could maybe stop. Stop it. Yeah. Including John. So they're, that's their guess, even though they don't know why he would want this. But they set off for Antarctica. Yeah. And there's some. There are some tender moments between Rorschach and Dan. Yeah. Because Dan does really seem like he cares about Rorschach. Maybe the only person that cares about Rorschach. Yeah. Um, Based on the relationship they had previously where they worked together. And Rorschach is a jackass pretty much the entire time. But he does have a moment where he's like, it's good to be working with you again. You're like a good friend to me. And he's like, I know I can be difficult. Yeah. And like, I appreciate you like mm-hmm. sticking with me and like helping me out. And like, yeah, it's one of those moments where like, obviously it doesn't make up for like all of his shitty opinions and the things he does and whatever. No, he's still stupid. But it at least gives him some more depth as a character. You know, once again, showing that like, like the comedian, he does have like some humanity to him. And, and- we need a reason too why Dan would still want to work with him and like. Wants yeah. to keep him around because Dan does see that little bit of humanity in him. He does care. He knew him before he had his like mental breakdown, essentially. Yeah. And he became even more disconnected from society. Mm-hmm. So they go off to Antarctica to Adrian's super sinister Antarctic 
hideout. Yes, his lair. <laughs> um, he's killed whoever he's been working with down there. <laughs> yep. They get there and Veidt's like, just in time for me to kick your asses <laughs> and then reveal my master plan. I wanted to talk briefly, though, about, like, that fight scene. Oh, yeah. And just, like, the fight scenes in general in this movie, because they really range in an odd way. Some of the fight scenes, like the first one and the prison break scene, they're more, like, tightly choreographed, like, fist fights Mm -hmm. that are, like, pretty good. Like, they're decent, at least. Yeah. Uh, Then you get fight scenes like Dan and Lori fighting off those thugs yeah. And them fighting Adrian where suddenly like a, a normal human can punch another human like across the room. I know. And like do crazy. <laughs> they don't flips. have powers. I know. And like <laughs> certain parts are like so heightened and like, yeah, it's Zack Snyder. So there's a lot of like slow-mo, slow-mo. fast mo <laughs> the shots. Bullets going slow. Yeah. And it, it's just kind of like. But it's like weirdly inconsistent between the fight scenes. Yeah. Like sometimes they're really wacky. And, like, Dan's breaking men's bones, like, out of their skin. Oh, my God. That was so gross. Yeah. And, like, so, like, just unnecessary. Absurd. So unnecessary. And and then other times it's, like, much more like the prison fight scene where it's just, like, a lot of punching and kicking. And, like, it's yeah. pretty good, all things considered. So, mm-hmm. yeah. This last fight scene, though, like, really was maybe the height of. The absurdity. Him flipping around and doing 20 foot in the air backflips. <laughs> Yeah, he like totally kicks their ass. I do love it though. I and in the comic too, he does it. Like he's like monologuing to them as they like Rorschach tries to sneak up on him, and then he just like lays Rorschach out again. Oh my god, I love the part in the comic where Rorschach's like approaching Vite again, and yeah. like Dan is like shaking his head and pointing <laughs> to like the crazy like lynx cat monstrosity that Vite has as a yeah, pet, and is yeah. like, there's this like thing like don't, don't do yeah, it and Rorschach's like, like okay <laughs> <laughs> and it's all just in the illustration like it's not said out loud but I love yeah. that and I also like the fact that like how much of a threat Vite is yeah like he's not only incredibly intelligent super wealthy but also like they, amazingly physically fit yeah they can't match his like physical abilities either like he's just kind of like I love how crazy outmatched they are yeah. to an extent. Yeah. He goes, oh my God, his like whole monologue in the comic about like his legacy and trying to like live this like dream where he basically is like, yeah, I had this like fortune, but then I gave it away just to prove that I could like make it on my own. I know. And he's like, I pulled, I literally pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. <laughs> I went on this like spiritual journey of Alexander the Great. I took a lot took of a drugs. Bu- took a lot of drugs and was naked in the desert and had a vision. And I was like, oh, the Egyptians are where it's at. And he's like, I built my empire out of my own fists. And he's Purely. just like monologuing to like the dead like Ugh. servants that he like employed because he had already killed them. And I was like, you are are such a pompous ass. He's like, such a fuck boy. I know he is. <laughs> and it's like especially annoying, I think, in the movie because like that actor is just especially like unlikable. Yeah. At least in the comic, he kind of has that gravitas about him and like it at least maybe maybe because you're reading it in your own head. It's not doesn't seem quite as pompous, but it's still like pretty bad. Veidt's plot and plan kind of is different in both the comic 
and in the movie. And this is the biggest difference between both versions. I mean, up until now, it's been very, very faithful. Absolutely. And and here, and I completely understand. I completely agree with this decision. Why the movie changed it. <laughs> Let's just talk about the comic version for a second. So Vite cloned the brain of a human psychic, which... We didn't know psychics existed in this universe until this very moment. Yes. He's like, oh, there are psychics. Also, I cloned this person's brain and made it into a giant brain. And then I like programmed all this like weird shit into it. I had all these like artists and writers also like program a bunch of weird shit into it. And then I like I'm going to teleport it into New York. And then once it teleports, it's going to blow up and it's going to send all this like this like bad psychic energy out in a wave and will like murder a lot of people, but also kind of like give bad dreams to others as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's going to like destroy half of New York basically. And I'm going to make it look like it's an alien invasion. So then the countries of the world will unite against this threat and I will avert a global apocalypse. The one thing I do like about this scheme in the comic is how absurd and comic booky it is. It is. Because Dan is just like... I know, Dan's like, you're not doing that. He's like, you need help. Yeah. Like, you're crazy. Like, I'm glad we came here. Yeah. Because, like, you're clearly... You're really killing people. And, like, we need... Like, Dan... But Rorschach, I love it. He's like, no, he did it. Yeah. Like, I can tell. Like, look yeah. at him. Yeah. And, and Dan's like, no. This like, is so dumb. Like a psychic squid? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. But... uh, and And, and of course, like... Dan is like, even if you were going to do this, we're not going to let you. Yeah. Like, we're going to stop you from unleashing the psychic squid monster <laughs> upon New York City. And of course, Vite, in a twist that maybe I think readers at the time might not have saw coming, is like, what do you think? I'm just this stereotypical comic book action villain character. I wouldn't have told you my entire plot if I hadn't already done it. Yeah. If it wasn't too late to stop me. And there's that realization that like it is too late. He already did it. And and, and they've come there too late. Yeah. And there is a part in the comic earlier when he like goes to a room and presses a button, presses a button and there's like a blue light and then he just like walks away. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, that's when he did it. Yeah. Like it was just so unceremonious mm-hmm. and he just like did it so casually. But I think this is so funny because this has been played with a lot in other like parodied films as well. Yeah. Like the whole like villain monologuing. Yes. You know, telling yeah. them their evil plan and things like that. But for Vite to be like, I'm the smartest man in the world. I wouldn't have told you this whole entire plot unless it was ar- wasn't already done. Yeah. Which is just like. Like, yeah, I feel like this was parodying that concept well before like a lot of other oh, yeah. shows and movies would do that, like the Incredibles and things like that. Yeah. So it's, but it's very effective. And we get this cutscene to the street corner mm-hmm. that we've come to know and love where the two Bernards. Yes. Uh, are The one reading the comic book, the one selling newspapers. And also like a bunch of other side characters. It's kind of this whole like wild Convergence. Uh, convergence of like a lot of these side characters like the psychologist mm-hmm. uh, the detectives yeah uh, a lot of these side characters like are all happen to be on this street corner at this time mm-hmm. when the uh the squid shows up yeah and this psychic blast happens and they all die and it's so it's so well done because it's the next chapter or the next comic 
starts off with these full panel, full page illustrations. Yeah. And I don't think I noticed this the first time I read it, but like, because you're just like looking at like the tentacles and the squid monster and all this like general carnage. Yeah. But you can see the bodies of the specific of characters. The yeah. You can see the Bernards and the detectives and yeah. like just like laid bloody on the ground. And it's I, I think it was so unbelievably smart of Alan Moore and um, Dave Gibbons, Dave Gibbons to give us these characters. I mean, you're getting like a lot of other information yeah. and things going on through these characters on the street corner. But generally, you spend so much time with them. And then when they're the victims of this, I know it gives you such a stronger connection to what it means that all these people are dead. Yeah. It's, it's not, not just like, oh, we blew up a city. Exactly. Yeah. Which the movie kind of does. It's like, no, you have like a real emotional connection because like all these characters, especially like the two Bernards that like you really liked. Yeah. Are gone. Mm-hmm. And like you knew about you knew so much about them at this point. And it's like very chilling and effective and creepy. Yeah. And Lori and John show up to New York too late and are basically like, oh, my God, what's happened? And end up joining the rest down in Antarctica. And the movie does do things differently. Um, The movie was like, listen, we can't have a psychic squid monster. Show up out of nowhere. Show up out of nowhere in New York City. Um, So they chose instead to have Vite um, imitate Dr. Manhattan's like energy signature and use that to create basically like nuclear type explosions. And he sets them up in various cities around the world. So not just New York city. And so he wipes out like all these major cities around the globe. And then people will now blame Dr. Manhattan for that. And so his goal is to like unite the world instead of against an alien invasion to unite the world against Dr. Manhattan. And specifically like against an enemy who may come back yeah who may still be watching them yeah which will i think in his mind ensure a lasting peace mm-hmm. not just like a temporary truce yeah but like a long lasting uh treaty between like the different countries of the world mm-hmm. and like you said for them to imit for for the plot to change and tie it to dr manhattan makes sense because like he is the the only the most real, powerful being he's the most powerful and really the only sci-fi element in this world yeah and so for to tie this uh twist to his character i think just makes a lot of sense however i do think the movie does a really shitty job of explaining everything yes when Vite goes on his whole rant about what he's doing and what happens and why like he's delivering information as if you already know yeah. what he's planning. But I'm like, I didn't know that, though. And I, <laughs> Explain. It, it, it's hard to know when you kind of know the plot already. Yeah. And I'm like, would I have understood this without having read the book? It's one of those moments we have. Well, and also, like, he was developing this energy thing with Dr. Manhattan. So was he really developing an energy thing or was he trying to, like, trick Dr. Manhattan? Like, what was going on there? Yeah, I take it as he was just purely tricking Dr. Manhattan, like it was all about the bombs. Okay. But that's just my impression. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But essentially, Lori and John show up. And it's worth mentioning, too, John is having this weird interference. Yeah. He can't These see. These tachyons. Tachyons. Is that, is that what they're called? Yeah. Okay. It's, kind of, it's just a funny name. Yeah. It, it's almost like drugging him. And it's interfering with his ability to, like, see the future. And uh, Vite was using this to kind of keep Dr. Manhattan from, like, guessing what his plans were. 
um, and invite lures Dr. Manhattan into this like chamber and then basically like de-atomizes him again, like duplicates the thing that made him into Dr. Manhattan in the first place. Uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> no. <laughs> in, in a great moment, he returns and like from the chamber, Lori has a gun. Yeah. At least in the comics, you see where she gets it. Yeah. In the movie, she just has a gun randomly. <laughs> she has a gun. She now has a gun. She shoots at Adrian Veidt and he catches the bullet because he's <laughs> just a Superman. He's I just guess. perfect. He can just do everything. And like at this point, it's just like everything's fucked. Like yeah. he, he killed God. And right when you think that, though, suddenly Dr. Manhattan shows up huge and reassembles himself. And he's like. I obviously know how to reassemble myself, Adrian. Like, please. It, he said it was the first trick he learned. <laughs> it didn't kill Osserman. Yeah. Why did you think it would kill me? Mm-hmm. This is a great monologue by Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, Vite, though, kind of takes this moment to be like, listen, though, I my aims were accomplished. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he shows them on the news that people are talking peace now because of either Dr. Manhattan's attack or the alien invasion. Yeah, and just this, like, news montage, and the comic does a really good job of just, like, all these word bubbles, like, filling in over top of each other, and then, like, Veidt's, like, tearful expression of victory and his, like, celebration that he did it, and suddenly they're like, well, we'll turn you in, and he's like, would you, he's like, the world is at peace, he's like, the world's at peace now. Whether you agree with how I did it or not, mm-hmm. you would only ruin that by giving me up. And all the people that die would die in vain. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, basically, you can't turn me in unless you want to doom the world again. And everyone is sort of like, oh, shit, I guess we have to just like keep a secret. Except Rorschach. Because Rorschach will never compromise. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the lives at stake. I, I fi- find it really interesting because like, in both versions, I think he's like when they find out it was Vite, he I think he tells Dr. Manhattan, he's like, he killed Blake. He killed half of New York. Like he's still kind of obsessed with finding who killed the comedian. Yeah. Like that was his goal. Like yeah. that's been who he's been looking to punish. Mm-hmm. And like everything else is just like extraneous. Yeah. He's like the main thing I've set out to do is find who killed the comedian. Mm-hmm. And like that's still in he's a way. wavering in that. Yeah. Yeah. And. So, like, he he refuses to give in to this lie. He's like, Vite still has to be called out for this. People have to know. Like, I don't care Mm -hmm. what it means. And he tries leaving and is stopped by Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And we get one of the most iconic scenes in the whole movie and book where Rorschach is basically like, what's one more body on the foundation? Like, I'll never compromise. You'll have to kill me. Yeah. And it's a very powerful scene in both versions. I think the movie does a really good job with it. Yeah, the actor especially does a really great job in this scene. Yeah. Playing Rorschach. But it's sort of just like, just do it. And, you know, screams, do it. And, you know, Dr. Manhattan vaporizes him. And it is sad because we have come to care about this very flawed and fucked up and terrible character. But in other ways, you know, we feel for him. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell he's like in pain. Yeah. Like you can tell having like to make this decision is like tearing him apart and that he couldn't he couldn't live with himself. Yeah. If he had to keep that secret anyway. So he would rather just like have Dr. Manhattan and like seeing Dr. Manhattan be put in this position 
where now he has to kill someone. He's basically now having to do what Vite wants him to do. Yeah. Like, even though Vite couldn't kill him, he now basically has him, like, around his finger to an extent. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's very, it's just, like, all these moral dilemmas of the different characters. Yeah. Kind of thrown in together at the end. And it's interesting because, you know, Vite's plan worked. Like, it, it does bring about peace. It does stop this, like, global Armageddon that was just about to happen. And, you know, what's the morality in that? Like, obviously, he's wrong. And, like, but his plan did work. Yeah. And, you know, you have to wonder, though, like, how lasting this piece will be. Yeah. For sure. But then you get, like, other characters, like Dr. Manhattan, who did nothing. Yeah. So, like, where is his moral responsibility? Exactly. And I think a lot, a big theme of this story is what does it mean to protect society? You know, for a lot of these heroes, like Night Owl, it was just about, like, doing these small deeds of, yeah. like, stopping crime here and, like, taking down the syndicate there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, trying to be a good person. The comedian was like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. People are shit regardless. Rorschach had a similar opinion, but he still had those values he was trying to uphold. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan just didn't give a fuck. And Adrian Veidt was like, the ends justify the means. Yeah. Like, he never killed anyone before, and then he killed half of New York City. Yeah. So, like, it's super, just very complicated. And there's also a good scene in the movie, it's between Veidt and Dan, mm-hmm. where Dan just kind of, like, calls him out, and he's like, you know... I forget. He did, he said you didn't idealize humanity. You deformed it. Yeah. And it's just kind of like your logic is twisted and, you know, and in the comics, it's a conversation between Adrian and Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. And this is where we get the biggest connection between the Black Freighter mm-hmm. comic within a comic where Adrian gives a subtle illusion about having dreams at night of swimming towards a dark something or other. Yeah. He doesn't finish his sentence, but you know that That's that, the comic, yeah. The com- That comic ends with a madman going back home convinced it's, like, under attack. Yeah. And he ends up attacking his own wife mm-hmm. and, like, killing two other people. And he realizes, like, he's the monster. Yeah. And I, I love this just, like, subtle allusion to the fact that, like, Adrian has kind of, like, damned himself. Yeah. He has kind of, like, committed this, like, terrible sin. Mm-hmm. And even though he believed the world was, like, inevitably going to go to war. Yeah. Like. He still assumed the worst about humanity. Yeah. And, and it, thought that he was the one that would, should decide. Exactly. Yeah. So just a lot of interesting depth to the story. Definitely. But we get an epilogue. We get a little epilogue where Lori and Dan go to visit Lori's mom. They're, the, bl- they're blonde now. <laughs> I know. In the comics, they're like in disguises because like, I guess they're still on the run. Um, in the movie, nothing is brought up to the fact that like half of the world has been destroyed. Like that's not yeah. addressed at all. Major cities. I'm like, like, how is society functioning? I know. I thought it was like way over the top in the movie that like it wasn't just New York. It was yeah. like major cities across the world were all attacked and I'm like, would this like totally destabilize like the economy, the economy and just like. <laughs> All of politics and like society, like, yeah, but Dan and Lori are like, who cares? We've got each other, and that's all that matters. (laughs) I mean, it is nice that they have each other in the end. I do appreciate that somewhat Mm -hmm. bit of a happy ending, like, despite all of like the cynical, dark, nihilistic, like, overtones about everything, it's like 
they got each other. Yeah, and John fucks off to another galaxy to mess around with creating humans. <laughs> <laughs> For a, a universe less complicated, yes. as he puts it. Mm-hmm. And then we get a shot to a newspaper in both versions. Mm-hmm. In the comics, it's this ultra right wing, alt right newspaper that uh, Rorschach always read. The New Frontiersman. The New Frontiersman. And before Rorschach went to Antarctica, he gave his journal to the newspaper yeah. and just like put it in their Dropbox. And at the end, it's shown on their mail stack and like clearly. Someone's going to read it. Yeah. And maybe discover maybe the, the truth. Maybe the truth will be uncovered. Maybe it will. Or maybe it won't. Because, like, I mean, it's yeah. not exactly, like, probably a super reputable newspaper. Yeah. Like, and Rorschach it, is also not super trustworthy either. No. It's like, would anyone believe that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I like the ambiguity of it. Yes. Could plant seeds of doubt. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, for sure. It's a good way to end it. And that's it. That's That's it. That's the whole story. That's everything. We talked about everything. No, we, we definitely didn't. <laughs> Don't at us. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to this oh world. Oh my God, I know. I mean, it just feels so massive reading it. Like, it just, it feels like the author and the illustrator really had this whole world to draw from, that they had really fleshed it out. You know, they had all these details. It was just so rich. I know, like, the characters, the... It's it's exciting, it's mysterious, it's like very thoughtful and philosophical, but you can still just enjoy it as like this interesting like in a mystery? mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many aspects to it that while still being just entertaining, yeah. It's super impressive. I think it's one of those few stories that like is held in such high regard. And honestly, I'm like, I think it deserves it. Yeah. I really do. I think it's Considering what it did for the medium of graphic novels and comics. Absolutely. And I mean, it does. It is a little problematic in some ways. Yes. But given it was written in 1985, it's certainly not as bad as it could have been by any stretch. Definitely. And I think the movie is very faithful in many ways, but it does sort of get the tone wrong, I feel. I think the comic, even though it is very dark, it's very thoughtful yeah. And introspective, whereas the movie just feels like it's this gritty, violent, twisted story of heroes. And there's less of that, like, questioning of morality and those complicated characters. Yeah. I just felt like that aspect was lost in the movie. Someone said they feel like Zack Snyder loves the idea of Watchmen more than, like, actually what Watchmen was talking about or what it was interested in. And to be fair, like to make this very sprawling deep world into like a movie Mm -hmm. would be very difficult. Oh yeah. I can see that being a huge challenge. And there are things that I think he did really well in the movie, like that beginning montage Mm -hmm. and then some other scenes I thought were really good as well. But overall, I just feel like if you really want to, get into the Watchmen story, you have to read the comic. The comic is, I mean, it's, I think, very, very accessible for the most part. Like, I think a lot of people, if you kind of know what you're getting into, I think a lot of people will enjoy it. And it's so just great characters, exciting. Like, you know, we've we've said so much praise about it already. And Zack Snyder, I think, tried his best. He does accomplish some things well. I think a lot of the casting is really good. 
I think a biggest the biggest criticism of Snyder and a lot of people have said this about his movies is that like he's so obsessed with like the moments yeah and kind of like making each moment feel really intense visually or, cinematic yeah cinematic and dramatic and like he never just has like a like a normal quiet like there's no like cool down yeah in in its like intensity there like even a normal conversation i remember the one in the movie with Lori and her mom her mom gives this whole like thing about like yes I used to be a star and like, <laughs> you'll find out someday, sweetie. And it's just super dramatic, like line reading. And I'm just like, oh God, this is so cheesy. <laughs> and some people like it. I've heard some people say like, it's to the point of campiness that it's almost working. Yeah. Which I could see that, like even with the violence, like if you go to it knowing it's kind of like. This pulpy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see people appreciating that quality to it. So it kind of maybe depends on, like, what you're interested in, like, in terms of, like, what you want out of the story, maybe. Yeah. Like, if you're just more interested in, like, a pulpy, kind of, like, cheesy kind of a movie with, like, cool visuals and stuff, like, you might be totally happy and love it. But, yeah, if you if you want the more intellectual um, moral tale. Well, and even if you just want to get this, like, very rich, detailed world. Yeah. Definitely go for the book. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's safe to say it's the book from both of us, right? Absolutely. Lightning round? Lightning round. So first up for lightning, there's this part in the comic that is so funny when Lori's complaining to Dan about John (laughs) and just saying how, like, disconnected he is and everything. (laughs) And this is right after she's left. Yeah. And she says something like, yeah, he just like looks at things and like does as if he doesn't know what they are anymore. And the next panel is John just holding up one of her bras in their bedroom. Like, like what the fuck is like, this? What is this? I think it's in the movie too. him just like looking at it. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be like he misses her. But just paired with that, I just picture his inner monologue being like, what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> and it just cracked me up so much. Oh, my God. So in the movie, the makeup on Lori's mom and on Richard Nixon is so (laughs) bad. Yeah. Lori's mom does not look old at all. She looks like a young actress that is just wearing a wig and like a little bit of powder to make her face look whiter. Yeah. Like she doesn't look old at all. And then Richard Nixon looks nothing like Richard Nixon. Not at all. They give him like a really long nose. Yeah. It was just, like, cartoony almost. It was really bad. Yeah, poor makeup choices. So Alan Moore has kind of, like, even though he sold the rights to the movie when he was younger, he kind of regrets that and just is like, I don't want to see any movie. I don't, like, give a shit about them, like, whatever. And someone asked Zack Snyder what he thought about that. And he uh, said, worst case scenario, Alan puts the movie on his DVD player on a cold Sunday in London and watches and says, yeah, that doesn't suck too bad. When that was brought up to Moore himself in a later interview, the writer commented, that's the worst case scenario. I think he's underestimated what the worst case scenario would be. (laughs) That's never going to happen in my DVD player in London. Moore very famously lives in Northampton. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I do love that Zack Snyder's like, worst case scenario, he's like middle ground on it. (laughs) 
apparently later more kind of like took a step back and is like, uh, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. He's like, I don't actually care. Yeah. <laughs> There's a fun part in the book and in the movie where Lori's mom actually someone sends her this like old porno magazine of her from like the 30s and she's like hey honey like shows her daughter like look what someone sent me and Lori's like mom this is so disgusting and she's like actually it's very valuable now yeah and she's like and also flattering <laughs> I do love that this comic really was like if superheroes did exist what's like all of the fucked up things that yeah. would like come about from it like there'd definitely be porno mags yes, about them from the 30s vintage porno mags <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's our lightning round that's our lightning thank you so much for listening to this episode we really loved getting to cover this one and just so you know for our patrons on patreon mm-hmm. we are doing a bonus episode on the new watchman hbo tv series yes so if you aren't a patron maybe think about becoming one um our patrons at any level have access to our bonus episodes and I'm really excited to talk about this one. It's going to be really good. Yeah, it's actually a sequel to the comic, not even the to mo- the yeah. Zack Snyder movie, but to the comic. So it's like a very weird intersection. And I'm definitely looking forward to discussing it. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to us. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our handle is cover two credits with the number two. You can email us at covertocreditspod at gmail.com. And then, again, check us out on Patreon. We have a lot of really great stuff going on over there. And thank you to all of our beautiful, perfect, wonderful patrons yes. who support us. And if you can't become a patron at the moment, uh, please like find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. It really helps uh, mm-hmm. us be more visible to other potential listeners in the future. And, yeah, thanks so much for listening to this episode. And... We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.